Amen. Please rise now as, as we have the call to go to heaven. Call of our Heavenly Father to come into his holy presence and worship him. With the angels and the just men made perfect around his throne. The call comes from 96, Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, what have we been called to do? To sing. And let us sing. So we'll begin with the doxology, which is uh, number 570, if you need it, in the hymnal. And then we'll be singing hymn number 217, My God, How Wonderful You Are. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him.
Help us by faith to see the reality of where we are, where we stand right now in your presence in heaven. Yes, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ, but we also in this time have gathered in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not that you, Jesus, came down, but we have gone up. We stand in your presence. You've called us, like John. And so we pray that you grant unto us a true understanding of who you are and who we are in you and what you would have us to hear and to do this day. We commit to you the whole day, not only the worship service, especially the Lord's Supper celebration, but also the family meal, the fellowship meal afterwards. We ask, O Lord, for your blessing upon this whole day. In thankfulness for your grace, we respond to your call. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. We do have opportunity to confess our sins this morning and also to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. And we will do that. We will do that with a. The mind is gone. We will uh, say it together the Ten Commandments on page Roman numeral 16. Saying together, and God spoke all these things, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, 
or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these commandments. We thank you that they begin with grace, with redemption, and they are ways that we are given to say thank you for what you've done for us. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. We thank you that you sent your only begotten Son into the world. He who knew no sin became sin, took upon himself the curse that lay upon us. For the wages of sin is death. And sin is missing the mark. Sin is not loving you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, not loving our neighbor as ourselves as is expounded in these ten, which is an exposition or a summary of the whole revealed will of God. We thank you that you've also revealed to us in our hearts your law. We are aware of. Even the the non-Christian, those that don't believe in you, still are aware that they are sinners in your sight. And so we do come to you, and we thank you, Lord, for this contra-cultural statement here, that we are called to love you alone, to not make any graven images, to not accept and receive what the world says, what the flesh says, what the devil says. We are to put off these things, to hate them and forsake them because they are displeasing to you. You've called us, and you've placed your name upon us, You've set aside this day as a special day. You are the ruler of time. You are the Lord of the Sabbath. And you've called us to honor those in authority over us. Called us to honor those created in your image. We pray, Lord, you forgive us for the many times that we have not done so. That we sought out our own way. We've created our own idols in our hearts. My will... We pray, O Lord, that you would break us of that. As the Catechism says, that we would hate our sin and turn from it always more and more. But at the same time, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died, that we may be forgiven, that we may be cleansed, that we may be accepted in the Beloved, that we may be children of God. Not children of wrath, but children of God. And so we thank you for that redemption that you've accomplished for us once for all. You applied it through the Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for applying the work of Christ for us, on us. We thank you, Lord, that we are now identified as new creatures in Christ. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And so we ask, O Lord, that you would enable us to grasp that by faith, rejoice in the forgiveness you've granted unto us, and live for you, and glorify you. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. So how can we do so? 
One of the ways that we can do so is by, again, lifting up our voices in praise and thanksgiving, focusing on the grace of God. Our hymn this morning is uh, 338, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. So if you will join me by standing and singing of the cross of Christ. 338. So that love was freely given, but what do we just say? It demands my soul, my life, my all. We're called to love the one who loves us. Isn't that what this song was about? The love of God in Christ? We also have an opportunity this morning... To confess him, confess the triune God. Do you ever do that during the week? Do you remind yourself who God the Father is, God the Son is, God the Holy Spirit? Do you ever recite the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed to yourself during the day or at night? Does it ever come in your prayers? When you pray, do you pray to the Father? Do you pray to the Son? Do you pray to the Holy Spirit? Do you think about who they are? We have opportunity to do so in the congregation today. 
So we're going to be reciting the Nicene Creed. Uh, it's on page 852 in that hymnal. So let us join the church for almost 2,000 years who confess the following. What is it you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets." And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Do you know how much? There's so much there, isn't there? There's, and a lot of those statements are because of controversy over hundreds of years, debated in the church. Things like uh, uh, being of one substance with the Father. That was added because the Apostles' Creed doesn't mention it, and it was necessary, because of errors on one extreme or the other. Do we really understand the jewel, the precious jewel that we just quoted? We don't just do it because we do it. We do it because it's true. We want to and need to reorient our minds, our focus, not on self, not on the world, but on God. Is that one of the reasons why we gather today? Is to get and set all of that aside and say, okay, eternity, eternity now, we will be in the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit worshiping him. We need to keep that. We need to be God-centered. We need to be Christ-centered. And so it's a refocus, a reorientation. It's a helpful thing. Also, you will find in the bulletin a small half sheet as we've been working our way through the canons of Dort, we're focusing on the perseverance of, the, of God for the saints. And we're now starting to deal with uh, errors. Again, the Synod of Dort met because there were requests to teach certain things, and uh, uh, positively, the Synod uh, declared what the Bible taught concerning these things, but now 
is addressing the errors. So paragraph three, um, I will read the light type. If you will please read the dark type. The true doctrine having been explained, the synod rejects the errors of those who teach that the true believers and regenerate not only can fall from justifying faith and likewise from grace and salvation wholly into the end, but indeed often do fall from this and are lost forever. For this conception makes powerless the grace, justification, regeneration, and continued preservation by Christ, contrary to the express words of the Apostle Paul, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than being now justified by his blood, shall we be saved from the wrath of God through him. And contrary to the Apostle John, whoever is begotten of God does not sin, does no sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin, because he is begotten of God. And also contrary to the words of Jesus Christ, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And then he goes on to say, I and my Father are one. So what do you think about this statement? True believers, those who are born again, those who are regenerated by the grace of God, who are justified, often fall from this and are lost forever. What do you think about that? What does that do to you, to hear that? Is that frightening? Is that discouraging? The answer is yes. Is that biblical? The answer is no. Notice how the answer here is just the quotation of Scripture after Scripture saying, no, this is not true. So problem number one, who is identified in this? The true believers, those that are born again, those are regenerate, those who have been changed by the Spirit of God in the application of the gospel, who are new creatures in Christ. That's who they're talking about. Secondly, they can fall from justifying faith. Holy unto the end, finally, grace is lost, salvation is lost, and, then and also the statement is often we, they do fall. So again, what's the problem? A loss of comfort. In other words, there's no safety in Christ. You hear that? If it's all based on me and my faithfulness, my continuance, woe is me. There's no safety in Christ. Grace is powerless. Grace is ineffectual. But again, what do we say grace is? How do we divine gra define grace? Grace is God's active involvement in your life. It's not just something he gives and walks away and hopes for the best. No, grace is God being with you. He stays with the gift. He is the gift. Does God fail? 
Is God faithful? He has begun a good work in you. Make, complete it. Is that what the Bible says? All based on you, whether you agree with him or not. Is that in the Bible? And the answer is no. What did Paul say? He has begun a good work in you. Will complete it. Is that a promise? Is that a statement of fact? Is that contrary to what is being taught by these remonstrants? Another thing they're teaching is justification can be reversed. Regeneration, being born again, is not a radical change. And God cannot uh, persevere for the saints. It's all up to them. As I read this, I, I get almost angry. How dare you dishonor God? God can't save. Jesus is not the Savior unless you save yourself by faithfulness. Is that what they're teaching? Yes. Is that a dangerous teaching? You're justified by faithfulness rather than by faith in Christ. So what is the response? Consider Scripture. You see that? Much more, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Through Christ, who is our life, we shall be saved. We shall never perish. He says that twice. Why? Based on God's power, based on God's faithfulness to his word, to his promise, and his active involvement in our lives. Is that important to you? Do you need God's active involvement in your life. Without it, you're in big doo-doo. I'm sorry, big trouble. Right? Does God save and then fail? No. He has begun that good work. We'll complete it. Amen? Amen. Thank you. All right, so we have an opportunity again to prepare our hearts to hear the sermon. And the sermon this morning will be in Ephesians uh, 4. But let's first sing from a, a, a hymn that is sort of new. Do uh, you want to play through once? Okay, we'll play, she's going to play it through it once, and then let's stand and sing hymn number 500. Father, I know that all my life.
a great statement? A life of self-renouncing love is one of liberty. So what's the opposite? Self-centered love is bondage. All right, so we have as our text this morning, um, we're in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And again, we've been looking at uh, the seated in heavenly places, chapters 1 through 3. And now we're in the section, well, therefore, how do I say thank you? And that is walk. Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse uh, 20. Hear now the word of God. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of mind, and that you put on the new man, which is created according to God in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for guiding the Apostle Paul through the Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring these words, and we thank you that you are here with us today. You are our teacher. And so, again, we ask that you would teach us, that you would open our hearts, that you would do that spiritual heart surgery using the word as a scalpel, as a sword. And we pray that you would uh, truly remove things that are uh, opposed to you and that you would heal us, that you would renew our minds through your word and you would enable us 
to say thank you to you by putting on the new man. And so we pray that you do that work in us. We pray this for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever heard the phrase, uh, the clothes, clothes make a man? You ever heard that kind of phrase, clothes makes a man? You ever experienced that? Where you dress up and people respond to you differently than when you dress down? You ever had that experience before? Where people will, someone will treat you with more respect if you're dressed respectable? And the opposite? Clothes make a man. What you wear affects not only what someone else thinks of you, can it affect you as well? I better not roll in the mud if I have my suit on. <laughs> no, I'm not talking that, but does it... The other idea is the idea of clothing and calling. Why is it that police officers wear a uniform? Why does a fireman wear a uniform? Why does a judge wear a robe? Because it's tied to the calling. It's a reflecting on the calling. What you wear reflects who you are and what you're called to do. It's still today. We live in an egalitarian society where everybody's supposed to be the same. There's supposed to be no difference between us. But we still understand that there's a difference between a, a military uniform. Can you wear a military uniform with all of the... Can you legally do so? The answer is no, you can't. You have to be an, a service member or have been one to wear it. So the point is, do clothing make man? Is it important to be clothed properly in the presence of God? The answer is yes. When Paul here says, put off the old man, put on the new man, He's talking, he's using the language of clothing. He's talking about putting on who you are in Christ. So my, my uh, main point there is in the outline, how new are you? Uh, if you have been born again by the Spirit of God, you are a completely new creation. Where do I get that? Well, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So how new are you if you are in Christ? Again, that kind of addresses what we said earlier in the canons. How important is this? Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, and you must be born again. We are called to live according to who we are in Christ. Does, that, does your life reflect this radical change? That's what Paul is getting to here in our text. He's been spending three chapters developing our understanding of grace. The grace in Christ being seated in heavenly places, our identity being found in Christ. Is that your identity? Are you believing? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Do you? 
Is he like the chair you're sitting in? What do I mean by that? When you're sitting in the chair, are you trusting in your legs and standing? And the answer is no. You're resting on something else outside of yourself, right? When you came up to that chair, you looked at it and said, okay, that's a chair. Oh, that chair, if it's a real chair, that's a real chair. That can hold me up. And then you sat down in it. You may not have thought through that process, but in, in a sense you did, right? Isn't that what, in a sense, a gospel is? Jesus is the chair. He's real. He's the only one, the only way to be saved is by sitting in the chair in Christ. But again, notice it's the work of the Spirit that grants that work, isn't it? Seated in heavenly places, Paul says. That's our identity. But notice, as he said that, just before he said that, I'll read it again. But God, who is rich in his mercy with his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Is that being born again? Being made alive. If you're dead and you're made alive, is that resurrection? Right? Are you resurrected by the Spirit of God through the application of the gospel? When we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, the gift of God, and so on. Okay? Is that you? Is that your place? If not, repent and believe or perish. You understand that? We're not talking about, oh, we're talking about religious things. No, we're talking about life and death, blessing and cursing, eternity. We're talking about the most serious conversation that we can have. Are you in Christ? Are you seated in Christ? Do you trust in Christ alone for salvation? If you need to, come talk to me after the service if you have questions. But now Paul, speaking to those in Christ, says, okay, now how do I say thank you? Again, we're getting ready to celebrate uh, Thanksgiving. How do I say thank you? And he says, by action. So what are my action? What's the first thing I should do? I should walk. I should follow Jesus. If Jesus is the teacher and I'm the student, then we are part of the school of Christ, and Christ is on the move. And so we are following Christ. And so Paul will say in chapter 4, verse 1, walk. And then in verse 17 of chapter 4, don't walk like the rest of the Gentiles walk. And he goes on to say walk. And walk, conduct your life. So that's where we are in our text. So the, so the first point in the outline is put off the old man or the old humanity with its deceitful desires, Paul says. So guess what? We're back to the garden, back to the fall of mankind and its effect. The perversion, the pride, the violence, the sheer wickedness which we see and experience today. Is, is that a good way to describe what we see today? 
in the news. As you go look at Gaza and Israel, you go look at Ukraine, you go look at Washington, D.C., <laughs> you go look at all over the world, do you see violence, do you see perversion, do you see, like I said, sheer wickedness, pride, arrogance, deception? It's an awful place out there. But is it really that far away? Is it close? Is it in our flesh, in the old man that we are stuck with until we are called home? The answer is yes. Have you ever stopped and thought about death as a stranger? Did, was there death when God created everything and said it was very good? Did death exist? The answer is no. Death came because of sin. Now we are in a, a world at war and death I hate to say it, is normal, a stranger. But the wages of sin is death. We live in a fallen world. We live in an abnormal environment that warps our thinking and our actions. True or false? We live in an abnormal environment. Do you understand that? If, if we can grasp that point... Now, what we see and hear around us is not normal. It's not the way it was supposed to be. And we are to war against that thinking of the world. Yes, we were born in Adam. We were born in the old man. We were sin. We were born in sin. We did sin. We walked according to the dictates of the world, the flesh, and the devil. We followed them. We were part of them. We were in the kingdom of darkness. That was normal. A new creature in Christ is abnormal in an abnormal world. Does that make sense? So we, if you believe in Jesus, you're looked upon as abnormal. Right? Peculiar. Strange. We have a different allegiance. We have a different Lord and Master. We are born in Adam, and we also were bound to death. That is why Jesus came, to deliver us from death and from the old man. Do you understand that? You're a new creature in Christ you no longer have that old nature. All things have become new. You're a new creature in Christ. You have a new nature. Okay? But we still live in this body of death, as Paul says, that we still live in this flesh. We still are dealing with the old man. Okay? So there's a war going on within. And that's the greatest war, isn't it? You can, you can maybe have uh, some respite from the war against the devil, the world, but we're constantly at war with the flesh, with the old man. That's why Paul brings it up. If you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is not your identity. And I keep driving this point home. Who are you? Are you a sinner or are you a saint? If you're in Christ, you're a saint. Do you sin? 
Yes. Is that normal for a saint to sin? No. It's contrary to who you are. If you're a sinner, what do sinners do? They sin. Do you understand that? You were a sinner in Adam. If you're in Christ, you're no longer a sinner. You're not, that's not your identity. Your identity is Christ, and you are a saint. Well, then why do I sin? Because you have to put off the old man. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new man. That's the war. That's how I say thank you to God. Put off those clothes, if you will. He actually describes the clothes in verses 17 through 19. We looked at that last week. And then he goes into it and describes the different kinds of clothes uh, that are, are um, practical. We'll look at that in a minute. Secondly, second point, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How do you dis- discern the difference between the old man and the new man? Is there any way to discern? Well, I don't know if this is of God or not. What, what do I use? What's the rule? Is there any kind of understanding? And the answer is yes, God's word. God's spirit. He's the teacher. He takes the word and he shows us. The difference. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How do you do that? By prayerful study of God's word. Specifically God's standard. His perspective on reality. So let's look at a few of those. We just recited the Ten Commandments. Look at verse 19. Who behast feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Again, in verse 22. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man that grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. So here, lusts and greediness. Does the Ten Commandments address that? Which of the ten did we recite that addresses lust, that addresses greediness, covetousness? Thou shall not covet. Tenth Commandment. That's the most difficult of the ten because it's getting into the heart, isn't it? Thou shalt not covet. How about verse 25? Therefore, putting away lying. Is that in the Ten Commandments? Which one? Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. What about anger? Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. This one's a little bit more difficult, but think about Jesus. What did Jesus say? If you are angry with your brother, what have you done? You've committed murder. So he ties it together with murder. What about theft? Verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor. Is that in the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not steal. Very good. Thou shalt not steal. How about 
Let no corrupt word perceive out of your mouth. Is that in the Ten Commandments? Yeah. The Fifth Commandment, honor your father and your mother, right? So, and the Ninth Commandment. So what, what, what's the point? Here, Paul, in a sense, is taking the Ten Commandments and he's saying, well, here's the rule. Let's look at the old man. This is what you're to put off. Instead of lying, why do you lie? I think we talked about that last week. Why do we lie? We usually lie to get out of trouble, right? I'm in trouble, and I don't want to have the consequences of that, so I try to get my way out of it, right? So what does he say? He says, what? Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And I'm actually racing into the third part, but what is the first thing? Is identifying that I have lied. I'm tempted to lie right now and get out of trouble. Okay? Put that off. Be renewed. That is sin. God's word says, thou shalt not bear false witness. So what should we ask for God to do in this event in the, as we're starting to understand that we're, there's something different? We need that new mind. Pray for enlightenment. Pray for conviction. Pray for sorrow. Pray for hatred of your sin. Now where's that? I just quoted something. Anybody know what I just quoted? Question number 89 in the Heidelberg Catechism, which is actually based on this passage. What is the dying of the old man? Heartfelt sorrow for sin, causing us to hate and turn from it always more and more. Notice that. Do you hate your sin? Do you heartfelt? Does, the, does your sin hurt your heart? Do you understand how awful sin, your sin that you've just committed is? As, uh, as uh, Van Til says, to help you out, Van Til says it's like going up to God the Father and slapping him in the face. What would happen if you walked up to your father and slapped him in the face? You think you'd be in big trouble? How about God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, who made everything, who holds everything together, and you slap him in the face? Is that a dangerous thing to do? Worse than an atomic bomb going off? Could be, right? It's a personal offense to a holy God. Does that break your heart? Does that affect you? God, I, I, I have offended you. I have, I have hurt you. I violated your perfect law of liberty that you've given to me to be free. I've bound myself to death. 
heartfelt sorrow for sin, causing us to hate it and turn from it always more and more. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind so that you have that conviction when you see it. Well, that's not who I am. I'm not a liar. I'm a saint who's tempted to lie. No, that's not who I am. I'm in Christ. Heartfelt sorrow for sin, causing us to hate it and turn from it or put it off always more and more. There's that. It's the work of the Spirit of God in sanctification, making us more like Jesus. I like the way that Paul says it. He changes us from glory to glory into the image of Christ. That that change, he's making us. I don't know about you, but I can't get away with sins I used to be able to get away with 45 years ago. Okay? When I first came to Christ, I, there were things that I could do, and I didn't know that they were sin. I was ignorant. Now, even thinking about them is sin. The narrow path, it does narrow. But is God able to keep you on the path? The answer is yes. But we become more aware of our sin. These sins, heart sins, and outward expressions. We may see the outward expressions. Those are obvious. It's these that are deadly and dangerous, Jesus says. So what are we called to do? To turn or to put off that clothing. Like I said, I'm not a liar anymore. I may have been a liar in Adam, but now I'm a saint in Christ who is tempted to lie because that's a besetting sin. Okay, do you understand the difference? I have a besetting sin, and that is worry. Or if that's a nice way of saying unbelief, not trusting God. Okay, that's a besetting sin that I've been dealing with for 45 years, and I still deal with it. Right? I have to constantly put it off. Rest. Rest in Jesus. Trust him. You have your besetting sins. I have mine. That's one of mine. I'm not bragging. I'm actually weeping. Okay? Heartfelt sorrow for sin, causing us to hate and turn from it always more and more. Greatest hindrance is pride. I know better. How about I can do this? Can you? In yourself? No. But through God's grace. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Gain that new perspective on reality. I'm a new creature in Christ. Charles Hodge, in his commentary, said it this way. We are called to preach Christ to ourselves, to set him forth as the object of supreme love and confidence. So to learn Christ does not mean merely to learn his doctrines, but to attain the knowledge of Christ as the Son of God, God in our nature, the Holy One of God, the Savior from sin, who to know is holiness and life. Anyone who has learned Christ in this way cannot live in darkness and sin. Such knowledge is in the very nature light. Where it enters, the mind is irradiated, refined, and purified. Isn't that a beautiful statement? If we truly embrace and focus on Christ, he brings light 
He brings grace. He enables us to see. And he enables us to put off and put on. So my third point, put on the new humanity created after the likeness of God. This new reality, Christ, is now, now shines out into the world. Stop and think about Moses. What happened to Moses when he went up on the mountain and he spoke to God face to face? How was the effect on Moses? Do you remember any of the kids? What happened to Moses' face when he came down from the mountain? How bright was it? Was it such that they said that you need to put a cover over your face? Okay. The people had to ask Moses to cover your face because we can't stand looking at you. Was that Moses' glory or the glory of God reflecting off of Moses? Okay. Can that happen to you? Can people see Jesus through you? I've seen it. Have you ever met somebody and you say, I know you're a Christian. I know you're a believer. I can see Jesus in you. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever had anyone say that to you? Are you a Christian? Why? Because I see a difference. Isn't that what we want? Like Moses, we would love to see that they see Jesus. So what does he say? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 24. How do you do so? Number one, in verse 25, in your speech. What, are we, what he says, put away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Okay, Jesus is the truth. Does that mean we speak the truth? Even if it hurts, I'm in trouble, but I'm going to speak the truth because that's more important than the spanking I'm going to get because I did something wrong. Because I want Jesus to be seen. In your speech... Speech for edification, building up, not tearing down, he says as well. How about in your emotions and your expressions? Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. What is he talking about? Self-control. Management of God's resources. Is anger a resource or is it sin? Wrong. Thank you for answering. He says, be angry, but do not sin. So is it possible to be angry and not sin? Well, yes. Is God angry at our sin? Yes. Is he sin in doing so? No. When Jesus went into the temple and cleared the temple, it says, the zeal of the Lord has eaten me up. Did he sin? No. I like to think of, of anger as an energy source. I don't know about you, but I've been in, in situations where I'm totally exhausted and just can barely keep my eyes open. And then somebody does something to me, and I all of a sudden, I'm Superman. I have all this energy that I didn't have a moment earlier because I'm angry. You ever had that experience where you were just kind of catatonic or just going along? And then somebody does something or says something, and all of a sudden, oh, I've got all this energy. I'm, have you ever been so angry that you shake? I remember one of my babies, one of my children, just, I was so angry at him because he just wouldn't 
go to sleep, and I'm just trying not to shake the baby, but I'm also just so angry. Have you ever, you've never, parents, have you never been down that road, right? Be angry, but do not sin. Use that energy source in a proper way, Paul says. Don't say, well, I don't, I'm not angry. No, okay, I have an anger here. I got energy. How can I properly put off sinful reactions using this resource? How can I put on, what's the opposite? What's the positive? How can I use this energy to pray for this person who's just cut me off and I'm wanting to give him a sign? Um, how, can I enter, how can I use this energy to edify that person? Well, I can pray from God, have mercy on his soul. If he drives that way anymore, he's going to die. Please have mercy on his soul. Have you ever done that? I have. I've also been tempted to say, Lord, get him. Yeah, let him learn his lesson so he doesn't die. Anyways, enough of that. All right, put on. There's proper use of emotions. It can be a resource. How about in your actions? Verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, so that he may be able to have something to give to him who has need. Isn't that a great statement? When you steal from someone, you're taking a resource from them. So what does he say? Put off stealing and get a job. Work. And then take the resource that you gained and give it to somebody else who has need. Is that the opposite of stealing? The answer is yes. So, Jesus, so Paul is giving us different ways to identify and live who we are in Christ. And notice he says this statement in verse 1 of chapter 5. I don't know about you, it floors me. Therefore, be imitators of God. That is overwhelming. I don't know about you. If we truly know who God is, and he's saying, imitate God. Boom. Right? Is that humbling? Can you do it? Can you imitate God in yourself? Can he, through you, live? Yes. I need Jesus. And notice, kindness, compassionate, forgiving, loving. In other words, walk in Christ's love, who is the true new man. He's the true humanity, and we are in him. And what are we called to do? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put off the old man. Stop living for Satan. Stop living for the flesh. Stop living to impress the world. Stop living what you're not in Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Thank you for your patience. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you. We thank you for the work of the Spirit of God in the life of Paul. As we see, as he says of himself, he was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor of the church. And yet you, Lord Jesus, confronted him on the road, and you converted him, and you made him that new creature and now we see him going uh, in this letter, trying to build up, strengthen the church rather than destroy it. We see him putting off the old man and putting on the new. And we thank you that you are also doing that work in us as well. 
And so we pray that you would renew our minds, that you would grant unto us the ability to see those, those sin habit patterns, these besetting sin patterns and all, to hate them and forsake them, and to find in you the grace and the understanding and how to properly respond uh, to things that come our way. And so we ask, O oh Lord, for the work of your Spirit, so that in response to your grace, we would say thank you by word and by deed. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us respond to God's word by giving of his tithes and our offerings. Father in heaven, we, we thank you uh, for giving to us life and breath in all things, for giving to us the ability to respond to you. We do so with these tithes and offerings. We thank you uh, that you give us work, opportunities to uh, prosper, and you've also given us responsibility to manage that which you give us. And so we pray that you would uh, bless these tithes and offerings uh, as a symbol of everything we have belongs to you, and we are your stewards. And so we ask for wisdom in the distribution, in the proper, proper management of both these tithes and offerings, and in the time that you've given us, in the breath that you give us, in all the resources you've given us, all of the relationships that you've given us. Uh, enable us, O oh Lord, to honor and glorify you. We commit ourselves, as your word says, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We also, Lord, uh, come to you asking for the things that we need. We, we have many prayer requests in the bulletin. We think in particular of Ethel Mayilo, James's wife, as she has been diagnosed, uh, diagnosed with stage four uh, metastatic uh, cancer. Um, we pray, O oh Lord, for comfort and uh, peace for her. And we also pray that if it is your will, that you would heal her, whether um, uh, extraordinarily or ordinarily through um, the doctors and various um, uh, procedures or whatever that can be taken. Well, we pray, O oh Lord, for your grace to her and James and the children and the grandchildren. Uh, we pray, we thank you that James is there, there with her uh, in Hawaii, and we ask, O oh Lord, for um, comfort in, in that time. We also lift up to you the Schmitz family as they are in Poland, uh, 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 Bill and Ray Lynn and Mela, and we thank you for the bonding that is occurring with Mela, and uh, we pray again for the judge um, that he would uh, let them uh, come home uh, quickly, that they would be able to be here before Christmas, and uh, so we pray that you do that work uh, with them. We pray for the boys as they are with relatives. Um, we pray that you would help them um, as well, uh, patiently waiting for the the uh, coming home of their new sister. We lay before you uh, Darlene and her need for surgery. We pray for Skip 
and uh, ask for a complete healing with, for him. Uh, we have various others that are mentioned. We do pray, O oh Lord, for those who know you not in this list, uh, that you would save them and also intervene. We lift up to you this Thanksgiving holiday as uh, people will be traveling. We ask for traveling mercies there and back again. Uh, we pray these things uh, for your glory's sake. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So we have opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, Calvin refers to the Lord's Supper as a visible sermon. So you've actually had a sermonette, then a sermon, and now another sermon. But this one, it won't be as long as the previous, hopefully. So one of the things that, uh, that we, we do allow for visitors to partake of the Lord's Supper, we, what we would say it is we extend communing privileges to visitors. So we don't have a closed communion. Some churches are, you can't take unless you're a member. But we're not open that anybody can take. Why? Because God says that we have to prepare ourselves and discern the Lord's body. And so it's a qualified communion. And so the requirements are, number one, are you trusting in Christ alone for salvation? Number two... Is he your boss? Is he your Lord? Is Jesus Lord of your life? And have you made a public profession of that? And are you either in a member in good and regular standing in a church or are desirous to be so? So the idea is there's an outward evidence of that confession of faith. I'm willing to come under submission to authority, the authority of Christ and those who Christ has placed over me. So, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, let's listen to the words of the institution of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And I would include also that it is a proclamation of his resurrection. Why? Because if he didn't rise from the dead... What, what, what state are we in? We're still in our sin, Paul says, right? 1 Corinthians 15. We are men most to be pitied. But Jesus died according to scriptures, rose again according to scriptures. What do we are? We are blessed. The Lord's Supper is a sacrament instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ himself until his coming again is to be observed as a continuing remembrance of the sacrifice of himself in his death, and I would add his resurrection, ascension, and so on, the physical elements of bread and wine representing the broken body and shed blood of the Savior are received by true believers as signs and seals of all the benefits of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. They signify and seal the remission of sins and nourishment and growth in Christ and are a bond and pledge of the communion of believers with him and with each other as members of his spiritual body, the church. Again, what does a sign do? Kids, what does a sign do? Are you driving here? 
you're driving along and you see a sign on the side of the road. What, what is that? It said Dickinson. What is it doing? Is it, is it Dickinson? Is the sign Dickinson? No, the sign points to Dickinson, right? Okay. Stop sign. What is the stop sign pointing to? Stop, right? You're stop, the stop behind this line, right? If you cross the line without stopping, you can get a ticket, right? Signs point to something else. This is a sign that points to Jesus. Okay. Who he is and what he's done. It's also a seal. Again, on my, I, in my wallet, I have a driver's license, and on it, there's the seal of North Dakota. What is the seal designed to do? It says that this particular document is valid, that this is from the state of North Dakota. This is a seal that, God's, that God uses to seal to you his promise. Again, the Lord's Supper is something we do, but also what God does. I don't know if we realize that. God is the one who's doing. This is a means of grace. The grace comes from God, not by my doing, but because he says to do it. If that makes sense. Notice also, it's food and drink, bread and wine. In the, in the time of Christ, bread symbolized food, and wine was the only safe drink. Water would kill you, so you drink the wine. Okay, so bread and wine is food and drink. Jesus is the bread of life. He's the only bread from heaven that can feed us. And Jesus, it's his death and resurrection that gives us, sustains our life in Christ. As signs and seals of the covenant of grace, they not only declare that God is faithful and true to fulfill the promise of the covenant, but they also summons us to all the duties of the children of God and call us to renew our consecration, our commitment, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in our thankfulness for his salvation. In order that we may celebrate the Lord's Supper to our comfort, it is first necessary to properly examine ourselves. A true examination of ourselves and consists in these three parts. I just mentioned them earlier. Number one, let us each, uh, let everyone uh, consider himself and his sin and accursedness in Adam, apart from Jesus Christ. So he may be displeased with himself and humble himself in the presence of God. What is the first part of the catechism? How great my sins and misery are. Okay. Right? Do you argue for the greatness of your sin? My sins are so bad, are great. That's the first step. Examine yourself. Secondly, let everyone examine his heart as to whether he truly believes the certain promise of God that all his sins are forgiven only for the sake of Jesus Christ. Do you trust in Christ alone for salvation? Is your sins forgiven because of what Jesus has done? Are you trusting in that? Thirdly, let everyone search his conscience whether he is determined to show his thankfulness to God the Father or God the Lord all the days of his life by walking uprightly before him. Hmm. Walk, walk, walk. Where's that from? Is that in the Bible? Did we just hear about that? Yes. It is my solemn duty to warn the uninstructed, the profane, the scandalous, and those who secretly and unrepentantly live in any sin not to approach the holy table where they would partake unworthily, not discerning the Lord's body, and so eat and drink judgment to themselves. So this, is this in the Bible? Am I just making this up, or is this 
Paul's exhortation. The Lord's Supper is designed for a blessing, but it can also be a judgment if not taken properly. We take it seriously because it's designed for life and not death. Nevertheless, this warning is not designed to keep the humble and contrite from the table of the Lord as if the supper was only for those who are free of sin. On the contrary, we who are invited to the supper come as polluted and uh, guilty and polluted sinners who are without hope of eternal life apart from the grace of God in Christ. We confess our dependence for pardon and cleansing upon the perfect sacrifice of Christ. We base our hope of eternal life upon his perfect obedience and righteousness. And we humbly resolve to deny ourselves or put off the old man, crucify our old nature, put off the old man, and follow Christ as those who bear his name or put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, merciful Father, our Heavenly Father, we ask that you, in this supper, in which we cherish the blessed memory of the bitter death of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, you will so work in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that with true faith we may give ourselves up more and more to your Son, Jesus Christ, in order that our burdened and contrite hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit may be nourished and refreshed by his true body and blood, yes, with Christ himself, who is true God and man, the only heavenly bread. We pray that we may no longer live in our sins, but that Christ may live in us and we in him so that we may truly be partakers of the new and everlasting testament, the covenant of grace. We do not doubt that you will forever be our gracious Father, never again imputing our sins to us, but providing for us all things necessary for body and soul as your dear children and heirs of your promises. Grant us your grace, we pray, that we may take up our cross cheerfully, deny ourselves, confess our Savior, and in all our tribulation with an uplifted head, expect our Lord Jesus Christ to come from heaven, where he will recreate our mortal bodies into the likeness of his glorified body and take us to himself in eternity. Be pleased also, O Lord, to bless these elements of bread and wine, so that receiving them in remembrance of the passion and death of your dear Son, we may by faith be made partakers of his crucified body and shed blood, with all his benefits to our spiritual nourishment and to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Our Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And I, I keep coming to the same point that just strikes me. He knew what this represented, what this was going to happen to him within the next 24 hours. And what did he do when he took the bread? He gave thanks for what he was about to go through for you. He gave thanks and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Shall we wait and partake together?
is not, the bread that we break is not communion with the body of Christ. We shall partake together. In the same manner, he also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, and as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. And the inner circle is grape juice for those who can't um, drink wine. Cup of blessing which we bless, is it not communion with the blood of Christ? Shall we take together? Let's pray. Most merciful God and our Heavenly Father, we thank you with the, our whole heart that in, this, in your boundless mercy, you have given us your only begotten Son to be a mediator and sacrifice for our sins and our food and drink unto eternal life. We thank you for giving us a true faith by which we become partakers of these benefits. Through your dear Son, Jesus Christ, you have instituted and ordained this supper for the strengthening of our faith. We beseech you, O faithful God and Father, that by the operation of the Holy Spirit, the remembrance of our Lord Jesus Christ and the proclamation of his death may increase our faith and strengthen our fellowship with Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. For our closing hymn uh, this morning, if you will... Uh, turn in your hymnals to uh, 538.
probably a familiar hymn, uh, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. A response of thankfulness that we would live for Jesus. Now the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. 